Think of a time when you experienced a conversation that left you with a new perspective or perhaps an inquiry, or you might have felt that something has shifted in you after that conversation. Maybe it helped you gain a new level of clarity or moved you to take action. That was a coaching conversation. Hello and welcome to The Coaching Conversation. This is your host, Salah Alithi, and I'm here with a good friend and fellow Agile coach and uh, facilitator, Ahmed Avais. Ahmed, welcome. Glad you're here. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So what has been your journey like? How did you get to this point? Yes. So I have an engineering background. So I'm an, I'm an electrical engineer by qualification, and I worked as a systems engineer for a long while. But I want to say that um, there has never been a really straight line for me, no A to Z direct hop. It's been a lot of crisscrossing of things and reinforcing of things. And it probably the journey will look like a node diagram than anything else. And interestingly, about 23 years ago, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I, I would imagine, yeah, maybe 20, between 21 and 23 years ago, I don't know exactly what day, I picked up this book called Mind Mapping by Tony Buzan. And I got very curious about this whole idea, this strange world of, you know, memory champions and mind mapping and this creative side. And, you know, and it's always been pulling on threads while I, I went into engineering school, while I interacted and while I became an expert of my field, professionally speaking, you know, it was always driven by what can I do? And my specialization was data networks and computer networking. So think of it, TCP IP was the, you know, was my, I guess, uh, my second language. Um, but that was more about from the implementation side. Now, fast forward, when I came over to US, it's been a little over 20 years now, well, exactly 20 years, actually. And when I came over, there was opportunities to work as an engineer, as a systems engineer. And I kind of changed roles from systems engineering to project management, to product ownership, portfolio management, uh, business analyst even for a little bit. And in the meantime, in 2008, I became a citizen. And the, one of the first things I did in 2008 was to create my own company. And when I formed that corporation, I worked with a bunch of startups. I ended up working with 17 startups. This is the time I lived in Chicago. And this is the time of Groupon. This is the time of Belly and Spot Hero. So Chicago was a thriving, strange Silicon Prairie center that nobody mm. thought would come into picture. Eric Reese was, uh, was uh, traveling to Chicago. I did meet him in person. There's this thing called Lean Startup Machine. Mm. And I competed in that competition. And that just opened up a whole new world, new friends, new partners, new small dreamy eyed people. And through that, I came into agile software development right away. And the reason was because we had this notion that Lean Startups is what to build, Mm -hmm. And agile software development is how to build it. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit simplified version of the reality. Yeah. So I kind of learned um, by, I guess, getting my hands dirty. Mm -hmm. And 2008 happens to be the very first year. The same year, I got exposed to open space technology. Mm -hmm. So there's this group by Michael Markey and David Babitz that they started, I think, maybe a couple of years ago. And I was kind of one of the early ones there. But Agile, Pro, uh, APLN, Meetup, they had mm -hmm. uh, the open space. And I was like, what is? this and yeah. it, it was serendipity and since that i've been actively pursuing it and my pursuit so i never just happened upon in an organization 
where they decided to go agile and everybody had to either take on Scrum Master training, transfer from business to Scrum Master. I had a relentless pursuit and love affair with agile. So, and can you imagine 12 years into it, that is still running strong. It's just finding new sprouts and new continuations. Yeah, that's what I really like about the community and coaches. We're always trying to learn new ways of making work better. Absolutely. And you have a lot of broad experience. You're also part of the Agile Fluency Diagnostics uh, with community. You've done the Harada Method uh, coaching. You know, you're always looking for the skills and techniques that bring like open space as well. So how do we help teams, organizations, individuals become better at what they do? That is job number one. And, you know, more so from agile fluency into the human systems dynamics world, which Mm. is kind of my niche now to like Harada method and Hisano method, which comes from Japan of uh, using cognitive coaching and neuroscience to unlock potential, the unconscious potential that we're still scratching the surface on. Um, And that's absolutely, there's part of this seeking, right? Always seeking. And, you know, I love the language that Agile Manifesto, I mean, I guess it's it's coming to a point where people find that cliche. I don't, I I find it still very much relevant. Obviously um, I would revise and tweak it a little bit more regular basis if I had the opportunity but when they say we are discovering, not like we have discovered or we have yeah. found that our best work is beyond, but we're finding ways. Yeah. We're finding new ways and the new ways, what's beyond agile maybe even. Yeah. We should be yeah. embracing that. Yeah, no, I found it uh, fascinating. A first statement in the manifesto was uncovering better ways and yep. we're constantly finding better ways. So speaking of better ways, we wanted to focus on this idea of cognitive coaching or neuroscience of coaching that you've been investing a lot of time in uh, recently. Can you say more about how did you come across this type of work? Absolutely. So you know about my work on Harada method. So about three to four years ago, I started uh, learning from my mentor, Norman Bodak on Harada method, went through the program, applied in different places, taught workshops on it. And um, so Norman was also the person who brought me into this world, Hisano, Hisano's method of cognitive coaching. And it has multiple threads beyond Hisano's method. And I mentioned mind mapping because that also belongs mm-hmm. in the same area. So before I go into Hisano method or like what's coming up is the new frontier of coaching, I want to take it back. Who are the giants whose shoulders we stand on? Mm -hmm. So there is a scientist named Dr. Marianne Diamond, and I recommend the documentary on her life highly document for everybody to actually watch the documentary. It's the PBS documentary. I'm not sure where it's being played right now, but Dr. Marion Diamond's life story is in the, I think the movie is called My Love Affair with the Brain. And it's her, and she just passed away maybe uh, two or three years ago. It's her 60 years of work in neuroscience. She actually shattered some of the old beliefs, like the brain doesn't grow. For example, people used to believe that brain doesn't grow. And she said, well, brain is actually plastic. You know, this whole idea of uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And that's complete bupkis, right? Mm. It's about how do you create those glia cells? How do you create that uh, training mechanism to keep on growing? And she talks about the five things that are needed for a brain to grow. And those five things are diet, exercise, challenge, newness, and love. And Mm. she scientifically measure the effect of caring and love as well and the growth of a brain. So coming back now out of her um, research that says the brain is plastic, you know, it's still forming new connections, still learning new things. It's plastic, not set in many ways, comes this idea of cognitive computing. 
Now think of a machine learning algorithm. Anything is called artificial intelligence these days, right? Mm -hmm. But think about a neural network. You know, we give it a solved problem and we say, well, this is the solution for it. Then we give it more problems to learn. Then we keep on giving it more problems to learn, but in a contained learning path. And then we start to give it unknown problems. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to make those connections and it starts to absorb and the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. And mm -hmm. the same thing applies because we have this huge computer on our head, mm -hmm. which loves to compute. And we found to do research that much of that capacity, I mean, anecdotally, some people say 80 to 90% of that unconscious brain or brain power is unutilized. And Dr. Marion Diamond also was the person who had physical access to Einstein's brain, right? And she sliced and diced and studied that too. And we know for sure, for a fact that that brain was unusually different and larger. So there's this idea that comes up from Lou Tice from Hisano, who have been doing CEO coaching and executive coaching. And they really shatter some of the old beliefs we have about, well, you know, time management, for example, versus, you know, thinking outside of your comfort zone, challenging yourself. They take you really, really far out of your comfort zone, maybe even hundred times, something that is completely inaccessible because what happens? The brain sees a problem that is unsolvable. Mm -hmm. And in the unconscious parts of your brain cycle, it is saying, I need to solve that. I need to solve that. I need to solve that. And new connections start to form and that becomes tractable. And we've, we have a lot of, I mean, cohorts where we're practicing it it's been something of an occupation for me for the past many, many months. But I'm enjoying this aspect of, hey, if it works for machines, what artificial, what yeah. about real human intelligence yeah. that can also be unlocked and unleashed the same way? Yeah, this is definitely a lot of lessons to apply with our work in coaching, understanding how this research can help. People can always learn something new. It's just they need to be willing to put the effort in and practice. So read about the new plasticity a while back and it's been around for a while. Why hasn't it been more in the forefront? What has brought it back to the surface? I think everything is going through an evolution and growth. So maybe it's just the time. I don't know for sure. I don't know. But uh, I think I have some hypotheses that maybe this is the right time because, you know, just like AI and, you know, Bitcoin or blockchain is every Same single way. big corporation, they have this side project and side team <laughs> that's working on it. Uh, maybe it's that sea change. Maybe it's that uh, momentum that is bringing it to forward. But many of these things are not necessarily new, but they we find ways to make it more practical. So, and sometimes it takes a while for some things to emerge as some as a place where we can practice and apply. So I don't know if, uh, you know, if you ever Google search what's called a, a fake hand experiment or rubber hand experiment, mm -hmm. right? It's a very popular kind of like, you know, it, it's, it feels like a cheap trick. It's not. It's, it has yeah. very solid, you know, I think I might have seen it on a show called Brain Games. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to that because, you know, there's this idea called phantom limb syndrome where, mm -hmm. where a person who has lost their limb or, mm -hmm. and they still feel and they feel like they're moving their fingers. They still like feel like it's there because yeah. the brain starts, tries to make those connections. And in, in the rubber hand example, they have, you know, they cover your hand, real hand with, in, under a blanket so you can see the back part of it. And then they place a rubber hand next to it uh, beside a barrier and then they brush both the fake hand and your real hand. So it feels like you, you're seeing the rubber hand, but you're feeling the brush strokes on both of them. And then they take a hammer and slam it. And then the pain is real. Your rubber hand. On oh, the rubber <laughs> hand, not the yeah. real hand, right? So how does the brain say, well, that is my real hand. Uh. Oh, how's that even possible? So even that small experiment, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but a yeah. lot of damage has been done 
done through industrialized education. Mm -hmm. And because of this industrialized education, I mean, uh, people who I coach, I actively coach other coaches. I actively coach leaders. I coach teams. And when I am in conversation with these hundreds of people, what I'm finding is more than half of them have never written down their goal. They've thought about goals, but they've never written it down. Right? Yeah. And for those who have actually written it down, they never really revisit it. Mm -hmm. right? So it's a, such a strange, tiny, tiny population that I've realized that the goal comes first, then we proceed. Yeah. So there's the ideas of reticular activating system. There's the idea of gestalt. There's, there's a lot of sound theory and practice, but we're starting to apply it to say, hey, those people we ignored because, yeah. you know, executives, they all get coaches, right? Yeah. The, the CEO, the, the, the general counsel, they have coaches, but see who does not have coaches? The workers, right? Yeah. Uh, because they're not exposed to that high value items, those expensive items. And I think it's time to open it up and why not unleash everybody? What could yeah. be possible if we did that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great question. Like, what could be possible? Because you mentioned earlier this research that 80% of our brain is not utilized. You know, there's a lot, a lot of deeper subconscious that we learn that is buried in the subconscious that we don't really know it even exists. So uh, to tap into that, imagine how much more conscious and aware the, Absolutely. the person could be. Here's the, here's the interesting thing. So, you know, in, in school, you've probably been told, or even, even there's this notion of work in progress limits, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I have too many things. I have too many spinning plates. You know, I need to limit my work in progress. Yes. And that is the conscious part of your brain. When you focus, you need to focus on one thing at a time, because that's when you're actually doing the work. And it is important to understand how that operates from a focus point of view, because like I said earlier, time management is a sham. What you really need to pay attention to is focus management. Mm -hmm. Now that's different from how we manage the goal world and the world we create, the comfort zone we create outside of our current comfort zone. And for that, you need many, 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 many goals. And yeah. one would say, well, isn't that too much work in progress limit? And it's not because when you're actively working, you focus on one thing, you manage your focus, and yes, whip limits matter there. But when you are dreaming, or when you're creating those many goals, writing them down, constantly feeding your brain, you are activating your unconscious mind, the unused compute cycles. Mm -hmm. And that's where we say, well, what about those unused compute cycles? And that's where this is really valuable. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes is uh, the quote by uh, Muhammad Ali. It's uh, what, what keeps me going is goals. And, yeah. and really the idea of writing goals down is not really new. It's been around for, for a while. Absolutely. And, and like you said, for for some reason, people feel like, okay, the, the act of writing something down, it's almost like there is some sort of fear of committing <laughs> to, to this goal. So they end up aspiring to a lot of things, but they don't really focus on them because it's not like you said in the subconscious or the unconscious mind to, to continue through and, and get some more uh, tap into that. So in that, you know, I, I want to tell a metaphor and I want to share, share a couple of stories. So the metaphor here is somebody who says, hey, I'm making $100,000 a year, but for next year, I want to make $110,000. And they're kind of in their comfort zone. And then they got it. There's no external factors say nothing else changes. No big external 
crisis happened and this person may be able to achieve maybe $105,000 and they say, well, look at that. You know, I did what I did, but I, I couldn't make 110, but I got 5,000. So what they're really doing is stretching, stretching their comfort zone, but they're not really going outside of it. Now, a person may say, I'm making $100,000 a year, but I really want to make $200,000. And by the end of the year, and they're trying to say, how can I do that? And their brain is pursuing, guaranteed this person may land somewhere between 140 to $150,000, maybe not 200,000, but he's still better off than the other person who put a lower level ceiling for themselves. Does it make sense? Yeah. And, and the story I have to share is, you know, people know the story of Disney, right? Mm -hmm. So Walt Disney went to Florida, he saw this swamp land, this dirty, strange land, and he could envision his theme park, a, mm -hmm. a city, a man-made city that is joy and wonders and just excitement. And he could, he could see that even at that point. And yes, this is nothing new. And these people who are dreamers, they're proven wrong, but it's just like one of those things, how much courage. They're unconscious and they're the geniuses who are probably can't describe their genius, yeah. but they're unconsciously genius. So now we're coming to a place where we can actually operationalize that. And then the other example I have, because I mentioned Lou Tice is kind of the inspiration for some of these things. One of the common things we find that the coaches go in, in engagements and they're working on processes and tools and you know hey Kanban let's repair your scrum let's let's talk about tooling how does the portfolio flow and we're spending a lot of time and effort doing agile 101s doing you know things that you know typical coaches do uh, there are two gentlemen Craig Brown and Ed Wong from Australia that have been doing this long-standing study of what makes collaboration happen and their number one result out of the long tail of research is the number one most important thing is shared purpose mm. And that's something that we kind of don't focus on that much when we go in engagements, right? Yeah. And I want to give an example of Lou Tice to illustrate what that looks like. He went to, I think it was UK, and he asked an assembly line worker who was working on bandages, you know, packing up bandages. That's, that's the, it was a manufacturing facility for Band-Aid or bandages. And she said, in, so he said, oh, what are you doing? And she said, very interesting answer. I am helping the world heal better. See, now... You, they could say, well, I'm just wrapping plastic or I'm just going by the number of boxes. But I'm, 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 I may be paraphrasing some of this, but basically I'm helping the world heal better or hurt less. And see, that's a shared purpose. And we know from teamwork, you know, people who can speak to that are different. There's something different or you can, it's not God given necessarily, you can develop it. And that's where yeah. the hope is. Yeah, the idea of the goal and shared purpose and shared goals seems commonsensical, but people talk about it a lot and they don't really, I, I haven't seen many application to it that I could say, okay, yeah, the, the leaders or even at the individual level that people say, okay, I have a goal and it's just to the first step of having a goal and then just writing down the goal that you have. What do you think get in the way of articulating this goal, whether at the personal level or at the team level or even at the organizational level? Well, what's the difference here is rigor, mm -hmm. right? So some, you know, how do we make something that's wishy-washy mm. and, you know, without the actual effort, but just like we make an effort to mow the lawn and we do it again and again, and, mm. you know, for, for some purpose, so I can enjoy my backyard as an example, why don't we make an effort to do apply some more rigor into goal setting? Why is it almost ridiculous and cliched that everyone has a new year's resolution to lose weight and then the gym memberships rise up? I don't know how it's going to be in, in the post-COVID world, but yeah. January is when the gym memberships uh, spike and mm -hmm. then uh, the, the only benefactor or ben beneficiaries are, are the gyms because people stop showing up after a few weeks. Now, what makes December different from any other month? Why? What makes this external pressure 
right? Why this arbitrary date mix it? Why, why is it not something that you do constantly? Um, now, somebody may say, well, okay, well, how do you do it? And there's methods and processes and tools, just like you would expect in any refined field. And it just so happens. So um, Miro, you know, Miro.com is a platform for online whiteboarding. Yeah. And uh, they have this uh, community built templates called Miroverse. Mm. And uh, I just happened to be selected to post a template there that talks about goal setting. Mm. in new and more rigorous ways and you know it's free for anybody to and maybe i can share that link with you then you can yeah absolutely share with your audience it's something that you can apply uh, that has been tried many times before but mm-hmm. now with more rigor and, and different light and sometimes that freshness remember the five things so the newness the different type yeah. of challenge also keeps things alive but to answer your question what stops a lot of time we are our own greatest enemies mm-hmm. right that's one i mean I, people will say i just don't have time for this you know yeah. it's just like saying, oh, you know, I have too much on my mind. It's like, you know, I have no time to build a fence because all my cattle, I'm too busy catching all the cattle that have escaped. Yeah. Right. Well, you got to do something about it. Yeah. And, you know, a coach helps, but mm-hmm. you can also start with self-coaching, but a coach can always accelerate the journey. Yeah. We focus too much on getting busy that we lose focus on why we're doing this to begin yeah. with. You know, having a goal is that you actually review and can focus your effort because like, you said earlier, it's not about time management, it's about focus management. And in a world where there's a lot of distractions and noise, we need a way to focus on what's important. So having a goal can be a mechanism to to get us there, to focus. And, you know, look at the metaphor of OKRs, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, what makes OKRs different from the the run the business KPIs and all those dashboards and silliness that we had? Because it says, well, what's the aspirational part of it? And just don't leave that hanging on the aspirational part, how would you measure it? What's the key result? Mm-hmm. And just don't leave on the key result. And Klaus Leopold says, for him, it's not just OKRs, it's OKRA, mm-hmm. right? OKRA, right? So objectives and the key results and the actions. So it's a cycle. These are mini loops and that yeah. have to be taken care of. If I'm working with a client, I'll ask them to do the goal setting exercise, the particular one we use wheel balance every week for six weeks. And then we start to do it monthly. Then we start to do it quarterly. So that's the objective. And then event-based because at that point, it's not going to change that much, but it's still worth visiting. Now, why do we do it that many times? Why? Mm-hmm. The reason is because it's not iterating if it's only done once. Yeah. And there's something about the rigor and the process showing up for, mm-hmm. hey, I really mean it. Versus, yeah, I went to this training. I, my mind is loaded with all these ideas. It's like a car wash. And then the next day I'm dirty again. Yeah. Well, actually, that's another good metaphor is like, you know, these things are like taking a shower. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just uh, do it once and that's it. You constantly have to go and revise what you have based on data, based on actions, right? If you yeah. take actions and that will g- give you some more clarity around what you really want to do, maybe you have to revise the goal because now you're more clear that you have something different. Uh, can you say a little bit more about the goal focus exercise or the exercise that you mentioned earlier? Is there yeah. some sort of structure around it? Yes, and there is. So there's the, there's this thing called the uh, balance wheel. I mean, many mm-hmm. professional coaches have used it. We just use it. And when I say we, people who work with, like studied with Hisano-san and, you know, 
the cognitive coaches, we've applied it a little differently, is that the idea there is essentially you have many aspects of your life and you should have goals in each of those aspects and not just a goal, many goals. So somebody's balance wheel may be, you know, and if you, once people see that link that you might share with your audience, it's basically four lines crisscrossing in the center and, you know, and then you label each of those areas like family, friends, career, money, whatever makes sense for you. And then after those labels, you know, you start to write goals that are way out of your comfort zone. So really there are three rules for the way we apply, you know, this amplify the dreaming part of it is that there's three rules to writing their goals. Number one, it has to be way outside of your comfort zone. Mm. If 100,000 to 110,000, that fails, but 100,000 to 200,000 or 100,000 to a million is better because the brain wants to compute. You need to give it juicy problems. And then the second part is that you have to have a want to goal, not mm. have to goal. Mm. If you start to feel like it's something you have to do, you know, for example, I need to take out the garbage. That's a have to goal. I mean, it's something mm. I have to do, but it's not a want to. It doesn't excite me. It doesn't spark joy in my eyes. Call out you know, Cohen Mari method, basically, right? <laughs> but it doesn't spark joy. So you have to watch it. A goal that you're writing down has to be from the want to category, not the have to category. For the have to category, we have a solution, delegate. Yeah. And for example, or have your, for example, for the garbage, throwing, taking out the garbage, I'm delegating it to my kids as soon as they, they get to the right age so that they can start doing it. So I don't, I can do things. I mean, obviously they, if I need my kids to stand on their feet, I need to put some burden on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. So it's, it has a double benefit. But for anything, you know, I had, I was coaching a CEO, an ex-CEO, he sold his uh, startup. Now he was kind of trying to find something in the middle during this coronavirus pandemic. And he said, you know, I want to do a stopgap and I need to get a job, just a stable job, just in the meantime, while, you know, just to keep myself busy. But this resume, I've never applied for work in the past 17 years. All I've been doing is launching companies, starting up, but now I'm in a different country. Now I'm in USA, so I don't even know. So what is resume writing something you want to do or something you have to do? This is absolutely something I have to do. And it's not something that excites me. So well, why don't you hire somebody, reasonable price, to interview yeah. you and mm -hmm. write the resume for you? Mm -hmm. so, so there's techniques to do that. So again, so the three rules. Number one, it has to be way beyond your comfort zone. Number two, it has to be a want to go. Number three, and this is where it breaks the regular notion, is you have to have many, many, many goals. Mm. People who evolve in this method, they go from eight areas in their life to 16 areas in their life to 32 areas in their life with three mm. to four to five goals in each of them, each of every area. Yeah. And that is actually very much promoted, but it takes time. So it, it's very evident. It makes sense. And it's more about applying it and then showing it to somebody because the idea of accountability with your spouse, with a family member, I mean, it's an important idea and we diminish that, but you know, we should use it to our advantage. Yeah. So these are just some thoughts. And obviously this is a visual tool mm. and an exercise with your coach or by yourself. But I think this is as much I can do justice by for it by verbally. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. I think you started with the mind map and this is almost seems like a mind mapping exercise. Yeah. You're mapping different areas of your life to many different goals that you want you want to accomplish, not have to. <laughs> and it has to be a stretch because if it's not a stretch for you, then it's not really going to grow you and take you to the next level. Absolutely. And we're just discovering yeah. these things, you know. So the metaphors of machine and well-oiled machine and well-performing, I think those metaphors are quite old and useless now. But imagine this thing 
in, inside our skull, right? With with all with these cells, you know, 50,000 thoughts a day. That's what happens to our mind, 50,000 thoughts per day. But what's generating those thoughts? These strange alien looking object that is organic in nature with neurons and glial cells, that those cells are producing these ideas. And we're still figuring out our project management muscle, our corporate bureaucratic muscle makes us believe like we're in control and we want everything to fit in a box and lines. And in the reality is it's very organic and it's very useful. And we're only beginning to understand how to make, make, it, make it a whole heart. Whole, I mean, imagine a person who's self-realized, how would they feel? Right, working. How how would they be a part of that organization? And the way to stop people, so say if you want to settle for twenty percent capacity in your workplace, you tell people what to do. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly. all you're gonna get. Never more than that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You're making me think about this. Every tool or technique that is really powerful has very simple and clear uh, rules. And that's why we're both, I mean, drawn into like, you know, open space, for instance, like it's, yeah. it's very, very simple and it's very, very powerful. You have a theme, you have a, a tension or a problem and you just uh, unleash the community or the people who are in the open space to come up with topics and ideas to solve that problem. Yeah, open space is so wonderful, but still difficult sometimes to explain to people what I'm going to go to this two, three day or four day thing or online thing. Doesn't have any and agenda. There's no, agenda. <laughs> uh, there's no sessions. Or yeah. There's no tracks. Well, what's going on? And it's hard to wrap around. I love this idea that I think uh, Biarte has said about, you know, in I think that very first conference that we attended together for Business Agility Institute, right? We were volunteers. Mm-hmm. He talks about, you know, typical notion, typical wisdom say, that put their traffic lights in mm-hmm. a cross section. Mm-hmm. And then what they found that uh, roundabouts where you have to kind of self-manage and self-organize mm-hmm. have across many continents, many, many studies proven to have way less accidents than the structured start-stop lights. How is yeah. that possible? You know, are you trusting humans to be responsible and self-organized, right? Mm-hmm. But the evidence is real and a lot. And, you know, in the world of more and more autonomy, how mm-hmm. we play nice in a bigger fabric of things. And the sooner we embrace these things, the less we pretend that we have control and the yeah. better we, the sooner we create generative innovative structures like these, and I think the better off we will be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's evident in the time that we're in right now. There's a lot of things that we can control, but if we have a shared, we have a shared purpose to find a cure, find something that would yeah. make the world heal faster. And, and we should avoid this idea of waiting for Superman. So for example, you know, this is actually a very good agile or like, you know, was custom built for a very volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. You know, imagine a person who says, well, the economy is bad, I lost my job, like I'm gonna sit sit on my seat of my pants and just do nothing. Versus another person, well, what other opportunities are open? Yeah. Now, you can guess which one is more likely to have success. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a famous saying, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you are right. That's a good quote to, uh, to kind of wrap up. I think I, think I really like this idea of tapping into the like unconscious mind and I'll uh, add these resources to the or the links so that everyone can take a look at them. Any any final thoughts or uh, that you want to leave us with here? No, I'm just grateful to be here. I love what you're doing and you know this is this was this was unrehearsed but you can <sighs> see I'm really passionate about this. And in a way, 
I let my brain speak its my speak its mind. But yeah. this this has been great fun. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. I feel like I, I have a lot of ideas now that I'm gonna sleep on. <laughs> hey, thank you for <laughs> listening. I the, hope this conversation my, uh, gave you something to think about or take action on. Remember, Ahmed, thank take you very action much. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, then repeat. Hope to see you again soon. Thank you for having me.